0: good morning again how are you today again if you're joining us online welcome i want to remind you um, we're in the middle of a faith at home campaign and i have been really bad the last three weeks about reminding you and part of it is because our family has fallen behind in this as well and so i want to encourage you we have um this week and then two weeks following um, if you have not been working through memorizing those, or if you're like some people in here who have gotten behind, um, I would encourage you to grab one of these this morning and really try to catch back up with your kids, um, even if they don't get all of them memorized or you don't get all of them, just the, the practice of trying to make that a, a priority in your life is so, so important. So, um, the, this week we, we start talking about faithfulness. And I think before we start talking about faithfulness, it's important to talk about faith. And the, the real question of, well, what does faith look like? Well, I think faith looks like a man named Larry Walters. And on July 2nd, um, 1982, he sat in a Sears and Roebuck long chair attached to 48 8-foot weather balloons and had his friends cut the tethers that were holding him on the ground. He affectionately became known as Lawn Chair Larry. And when they cut the tethers, it catapulted him 15,000 feet into the air. And his plan was to float over the Mojave Desert. And he was armed with a CB radio, a pellet gun, a lunchbox of sandwiches and beer, makes sense probably, <laughs> And the hopes of floating over the desert, shooting out the balloons, and landing safely on the ground. And the plans didn't go quite as he planned, as you could imagine. Um, he found himself in restricted airspace over LAX airport <laughs> and had requests to make sure he got his balloons to the ground, his lawn chair to the ground. And so he began strategically taking out with his pellet gun balloons. And everything was going well until he dropped his gun and was at the mercy, mercy of the jet stream. And he landed somewhere outside of Long Beach in a group of power lines dangling from the air and was able to get down And the police arrested him, to which, if you can go back to the previous slide, he responded, a man can't just sit around. And as I think about faith, like, that is a picture of faith. Sitting down in this lawn chair, cutting the tethers and being catapulted into the air, knowing what the plan is, not really sure how it's going to turn out. That is what faith looks like. And faith regardless says, I'm not sure what to expect, but I'm in. It's faithfulness, and faithfulness always occurs in the context of the relationship. Faithfulness says, I'm not really sure where this is going. I'm not sure what we're going to encounter on the way, but I am committed to this for the long haul. I'm not backing out. And when you do something like what Larry did, there really is no backing out. You're committed to this flight. You're all in and there is no going back. So I wanna say it like this, faithfulness, to be faithful means that we are trustworthy and dependable over a prolonged period of time. And you see this in a commitment of a promise that we make to a spouse. You stand at the altar and you are committed to being faithful to that person and what you're saying is i'm going to be trustworthy and dependable within this relationship for the long prolonged period of time i'm I'm in this for the long haul You, you see this in friendships is people Commit to these friendships and the friend makes some choices and goes down the wrong path and they find themselves in trouble and yet you still see that friend sticking by them and committed to the relationship and committed to the friendship despite everything else that's going on around them. You see this in God's relationship with us. That that Despite everywhere we've been, whatever we've done, God says, I am committed to this and I'm not going anywhere. You're not leaving me. And continues to chase. But we have a society that is so, um, struggles with that idea of faithfulness. Because to us, faithfulness doesn't mean that I'm going to be trustworthy and dependable for a prolonged period of time. To us, faithfulness means I am going to be trustworthy and dependable until. Until the relationship gets really difficult. I'm going to be trustworthy and dependable until it gets hard on me. I'm going to be trustworthy and dependable until it inconveniences me. I'm going to be trustworthy and dependable until it costs me something. Or maybe even, I'm going to be trustworthy and dependable until you are unfaithful to me. That faithfulness is a faithful until in our mind. But it's faithfulness and being faithful that might just be the greatest attribute of true love. I don't know if there's a greater attribute of love than faithfulness. Committing to be with someone and by their side no matter what. And I think it's God's love for His people that inspires His faithfulness to them. And and I don't think that we we see another attribute or characteristic of God that's talked about in Scripture more than God's faithfulness to His people. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, He says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, His works are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Or the psalmist in Psalm 36 who says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. And it's this attribute, this characteristic of God that we see what true faithfulness looks like. This God who is loved has loved his creation so much that he has gone to incredible lengths to pursue them and to not give up on that relationship because we see God is trustworthy and dependable over a prolonged period of time. But what's interesting about faithfulness is faithfulness says that I see good and I'm going to have faith in another person. See, true faithfulness requires a mutual faith. And we see it in Scripture so often through the idea of covenant, that we're going to make this mutual commitment to be faithful to one another. Back when you hear someone, or you're at a wedding, and you see this ceremony taking place, and you have the bride, you have the groom, and they stand across from each other, and they make these commitments. And they say things like, well, till death do us part, or for better or worse, that I'm going to be faithful to you. And in saying that, you are committing your faithfulness to the other person. But you're also trusting in them to be faithful to you. That faithfulness is a mutual faith in one another. It's a trust. And we see this so often in covenant. Where people say, I'm going to be faithful to you and here's what I'm going to do. And the other party is saying, I'm going to be faithful to you and here's what I'm going to do. And when you talk about faithfulness in the context of a covenant, it's not if you fail to keep your end of the covenant, your end of the arrangement, then the covenant is broken, it's over, I'm out. That faithfulness says regardless of what you do, Regardless of how you respond, regardless of how you mess up, I am committing to be faithful to you, and I am committing to being faithful to this relationship. And when you talk about faith, most of the time we talk about our faith and our trust in God, but I think there's an aspect of faith that we forget about often. God has faith in you. Think about the very beginning and how the story begins. God's divine image bearers are placed, and they're given a mission to represent Him in this world, to bear His image, and so that through their lives, people would see what God is like. And then God calls a man named Abraham, After things have kind of gone off course. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants. Ultimately, I'm going to give you Messiah through you. And you will be faithful to me. And all the peoples on this earth are going to be blessed through you. That you're going to bring that divine blessing into this world. And he establishes a covenant with him. In which he gives him some parameters. And he says, I want you to walk with me and be blameless and upright and if you will do this i'm going to have this covenant with you we're going to have this relationship that we're going to enter into and i'm going to commit to be faithful to you regardless of where that goes and you see it in moses as he calls this man from a burning bush who is a reluctant leader reluctant to step out and do what god calls him to do and what god has declared he will do God calls him and reluctantly he goes and he leads these people and he takes them through Egypt out of the Red Sea. And on the other side is he's preparing to take Moses to Mount Sinai to give them the law and say, here's what this group, here's what this people is going to look like. He says, if you will obey my commands, if you will obey my laws, my decrees, then you will be for me a kingdom of priests holy nation. In in other words, you will represent me to this world. The world will know what God is like through this kingdom of priests. And, And often I don't think we think about God having faith in his people, but he does. This whole plan, this whole idea of sharing and spreading the gospel, the good news, is based on God's faith in his good creation. To go and represent him well in this world. To share his love with this world. God has faith in his people. And I think we see no no better person that represents us, and Hebrews picks up on this, that Moses is that one who is faithful in God's house. And there's a a section of Scripture in Numbers where Joshua is alongside Moses. They're getting ready to move into the promised land. They're they're headed that direction. And in Numbers 11 through 16, Moses starts to encounter a lot of rough patches. They they have some catering problems in chapter 11. All the people get tired of manna. And they start to think, well, well, here is the menu in Egypt. We had all this food to eat, and now all we get is manna. And then there's confusion in chapter 11 over spiritual gifts, because Moses is going to pray, and, and he's going to call these people to prophesy. And there's some people that get the gift, and there are some people who get the gift who aren't actually with this big group. And there's confusion about how all this is working. And then Moses is criticized in chapter 12 by his family about his marriage. And then there's discouragement because the spies come back after checking out Canaan and they say there's giants in the land. And, and if we go there, we're going to be destroyed. And you've got to think, Moses is leading all these people. And then in chapter 14, all of the people, and this is what's crazy. You know, we, we say, well, everyone's upset. Well, who's everyone? Well, one but, but here in chapter 14, it says, everyone, all of the people, are grumbling against Moses. And at this time, most people believe there's about a million people, or maybe a little more, that make up Israel. Like, like, think about that. A million people. Like, do you think you have some people who are disappointed and frustrated with you? Everyone. All of them. And then, in verse 10 of chapter 14, he goes on to say, all of the people decided it would be a good idea to stone Moses. So they're grumbling against him. They're complaining against him. And then they all decide, well, we should probably stone him. And then in chapter 16, all of the leaders start to rise up against Moses. 250 of them aren't liking what Moses is doing. And you think about all of the obstacles Moses is facing. In the beginning, when God called him, he's like, don't send me. Don't choose me. Like, I know it's going to be hard. I know this is going to be difficult. Don't choose me. But God sends him anyway. He sends him to Pharaoh. He sends him to be the leader of these people. And they frustrate him time and time and time again. And then they make it through the Red Sea and they're leading the people. And you got to think, well, the, the hard part's behind us. Like now the faithfulness gets easier, right? And then issue after issue after issue. We don't have enough food. We don't know what's going on. And your marriage is messed up. And we can't go there because of what we're going to face. And no one likes you. I wonder at what point for Moses do you just throw your hands up and say, this is is it. I'm I'm not in this. I I didn't commit to this level of faithfulness. And, And maybe the better question, put yourself in Moses' shoes. At what point do you decide This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I'm committed to. Yes, I said I would be faithful. Yes, I said I was in this. But this is asking an awful lot. And I don't know if I can fully commit to this. And what we see time and time again is Moses this trustworthy, dependable leader over a prolonged period of time, faithful to what God has called him to do and be. Does he mess up? Yes. Does it get difficult? Yes. Does he get frustrated? Yes. Does he throw in the towel and quit? No. Because he is committed to something bigger than himself. And I want to take just a minute or two to talk about Moses as a leader. Because every single person in this room, if we define leadership as this, leadership is influence, every single one of you have influence somewhere. And God has called every one of you to be like Christ, to take on his image, and to represent him in this world. And every one of us can on some level or another relate to Moses. And in this story, there's a couple of opportunities, faithfulness killers, things that have the potential to derail Moses if he will allow them to. And they'll derail him from what God has called him to do and what God has called him to be. And when the leader falters, it is the people that suffer. So a couple of ideas that, that could derail Moses from the start. In chapter 11 of Numbers, Joshua, actually let's go back to verse 26. However, two men, uh, Moses is called 72 elders. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since you spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. And then Moses and the elders of Israel return to the camp. So they go out to the camp. He's called these 72 there. There are two that aren't with them. And they, too, have the Spirit fall down on them. And they start prophesying. And Joshua runs to Moses and says, Hey, we got a problem. There's some people... Some elders that are supposed to be with you and under your care and under your leadership and you're supposed to be watching over them and they're over here doing what you're having them do. And you wonder, okay, what's the big deal about it? But what Joshua and Moses points us out, are you jealous for my sake? I I think one of the, the killers of faithfulness is jealousy. Are you jealous for my sake? And it has the opportunity right then and there to derail Moses. Because Moses could say, yeah, wait, 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 wait. They're not doing this my way. They, they are exercising the gifts that I prayed for them. And you see this anxiousness in Joshua. I mean, I mean, think about this. If you're number two, here's Moses who's number one, you're number two. If there are other people on the outside who can do what Moses is doing... What are the chances that they step in and replace Moses? And if they replace Moses, then what's going to happen to me? Like jealousy has the opportunity to settle in. And it gets really difficult to do what God has called you to do when you're always focused on what everyone else is doing and focused on everyone else's gifts. And I think over time, we start to develop this grass is always greener on the other side mentality. And I was kind of joking last week, our our praise team, they were sitting over here before service started. And we did our little devotional and prayer time, and they moved over here because it was cold over here. And after we finished praying, they all got up from here and moved back over here because it was actually colder over here than it was over here. But we do that. It's so easy to start saying, well... That job would be so much better. Or that spouse would be so much better. Or that friend would be so much better. Or their strengths would be so much better. Their wardrobe would be so much And what happens, and I think social media does such a great job of distracting us and sending our mind to other places and breeds that jealousy within us. And we, over time, start to focus on what everyone else is doing. And we never really focus on what God has called us to do. And then the second thing that has a potential to kill Moses' faithfulness is selfish ambition. Just a couple chapters later in chapter 14. They're ready to stone Moses. They're frustrated with him. The whole assembly, verse 10, talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting of all of the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? in spite of all these signs that I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a great nation, a nation greater and stronger than them. And for Moses, with all of the frustration building, and everyone, Matt, you know what he's going to do, right? I, I'm done with them. Set, them, set them ablaze. We'll go do our own thing. But what Moses does there is he begins to call on God to be faithful to these people. Because these are the people he has reluctantly led from the beginning. And he says, no, God. If you destroy them, no one's going to see how great your faithfulness is. No one's going to see. And Moses has the opportunity right here. All right, Moses, let's let's take them out. This can be all about you. And from then on, there's no more grumbling about you, and no one's complaining about their diet. Everything's good. And Moses begins to beg and plead with God to save the people that God has called him to lead. To lead. And his whole life is given to this. And in Moses, we see a man who is trustworthy and dependable over a prolonged period of time. Yet time and time again, we see God's people failing to be trustworthy and dependable time and time again, continuing to mess up, yet the entire time, God never falters in his faithfulness to his people. His people who are ungrateful, his people who mess up, his people who are disobedient, he never fails to be faithful to them. Ultimately, God himself putting on flesh and coming down to earth to be and show us what it looks like to live as God in the person of Jesus. And this faithful servant is faithful and committed to the very end to what God has called him to do. Begging and pleading God in the garden, God, take this cup from me. Not once, but twice. Twice. God, don't make me walk this road. But but if this is what you're calling me to do, I am committed to be faithful to that call. I am committed to do what you have called me to do, regardless of where it leads, regardless of how difficult it gets. I am committed. And we know that that road ends on a cross. That, That the end of the road is the cross. And yet every time you see these people ungrateful, disobedient, undependable, untrustworthy, and yet time and time again, God entrusts His kingdom in their hands. And God calls them to be faithful and dependable and committed to His kingdom. He calls 12 ordinary men and he says, come and follow me because I believe you can be like me and you can represent me in this world. He calls 72 and he sends them out to go two by two to towns and villages and to share his love and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And he entrusts it in their hands. And in the Great Commission, as Jesus gets ready to ascend to heaven, he says, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey what I've commanded you. He he entrusts the kingdom into our hands. And he says, my faithfulness to you is because I love you. And I am asking you to be faithful to me, but also to be faithful to one another who are on this journey with you. Because we all stand together as this body, this family, this church of God. That we would represent Him in this world. That we would make a difference in this world. That the world would see what God is like through our lives. And so the question this morning that I want to spend just a moment wrestling with is in what ways have you failed to be trustworthy and dependable over a prolonged period of time in What ways have you failed to be trustworthy and dependable over a long period of time Maybe to Christ and you make this commitment to be faithful to him make this decision and, and I love that Luke points out that this take up your cross and follow me thing is a daily decision just take up your cross and follow me daily that, that it's not a one-time decision where we're baptized we decide to put on Christ and we're baptized into him and then but it's a daily decision to follow him. Maybe it's to his kingdom and to live as his priest and his representative in this world. And you failed to be faithful to that. Maybe it's to your spouse. You failed to be trustworthy and dependable. And the promise you made is something that's in the distant past. Maybe it's to your kids. And really you've been more faithful to your work, to your job, than you have to them. Where have you failed? To be trustworthy and dependable over a long period of time. And then the better question is then what do we do about it? And I'll give you just a couple ideas real quick. Name it. Write it down somewhere. I have failed to be faithful to my spouse. I've had an affair. I've been addicted to pornography. I've been lying. I've been unfaithful to my kids. I've been unfaithful to Christ. Name it. Confess it. God, here, here it is. Because it's not a secret to Him. We confess it we repent of it. Repent is this ancient Jewish word, teshuva, and it means to return. It, it's this idea that we're going one direction and we say, okay, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm not going to go that direction. I'm not going to continue in my unfaithfulness. I'm going to turn and go in a different direction. Next is simply to pray and God, ask, ask God's spirit to fill you and strengthen you and empower you to be the faithful person that he has called you to be. And fourth, recommit. We recommit. Just like Luke says, this daily decision to take up our cross and follow him. As we recommit to this journey every single day. And, and you might think, well, what's the, what's the big deal? A couple things I know. We need more faithfulness in our world, not less. We need more faithfulness in our church, not less. We need more faithfulness in our marriage, not less. We need more faithfulness in our parenting and to our children, not less. We need to see the faithfulness of God lived out through our lives. But here's what I can tell you. You may never know just how far your faithfulness will reach and impact other people. But what I can promise you is you will be there to see how your unfaithfulness wrecks everyone else. You may never know just how far your faithfulness may reach. But I promise you, you will have a first row seat to see how your unfaithfulness will destroy and wreak havoc on the lives of the people around you. Could you imagine if as God's people, we were committed to a faithfulness that looked like His Faithfulness to us. And Jesus' faithfulness not only to God but to us. That He was committed to this and His faithfulness flows out of this love for us. Could you imagine what a difference it would make in Tyler, Texas? Could you imagine what a difference it would make in our schools and our jobs? Could you imagine? What a difference it would make in our marriages, in our homes, and in our children. If we were committed to the faithfulness of God that says we are in this for the long haul. That we are going to be people who are trustworthy and dependable over a prolonged period of time. Because I can tell you that. You may never know just how far your faithfulness may reach. But you will have a first-hand seat to see the havoc that your unfaithfulness will bring on those around you. Father, forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we falter. Forgive us when we are not the people you have called us to be. Forgive us when we don't represent you to this world well. Father, may we, your divine image bearers, bring your love into this world. And Father, may the world see Jesus through our lives and through our commitment to be faithful. Faithful to you. Faithful to the promise that we've made to you. Faithful to love people well. To love people who are our neighbor's and those who live around us faithfulness to our spouses and to our children faithfulness to be your people on earth that you have called us to father send your spirit empower us strengthen us give us life give us hope we pray all this in jesus most precious name amen